Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here at the podium with the Minister for Health and Social Care and our Director of Public Health joins us on Zoom today. I hope you're all able to enjoy some of the sunshine over the Easter weekend and I hope you are also able to catch up with loved ones thanks to the changes we announced at the end of last week. It was great for me personally to pop around, see my parents, drop off some cakes and enjoy a catch-up in the garden. I hope you were able to do something special too and I hope that was outdoors respecting social distancing rules and face coverings wherever possible. Let's go straight to our regular updates, first to the Minister for Health and Social Care, David. Thank you, Chief Minister. Firstly, the statistics for today. The total number of tests undertaken is 47,927. The total tests concluded is also 47,927, meaning the lab at the time of the snapshot had processed all of the tests that they had received. From that, we have one new case identified in the last 24 hours. It is linked to a known source and it is someone that was already in self-isolation. So that brings the total case count to 1,572. We currently have 109 active cases, one of those in hospital with none in ICU at Nobles. Turning to the vaccination programme, the vaccination programme does continue apace and letters have now gone out to the 40 to 45 age group. Over the next week, letters will start going out to those aged 35 to 39. Over 55% of the adult population and 48% of the overall population have now received at least one dose of the vaccine and we are now close to having 50% of our entire population or one in every two people vaccinated. That's a milestone we should pass later this week. If there is still anyone in those categories that in phase one, such as those aged over 50 and those who are clinically vulnerable, that has not registered for their vaccine as yet, I would urge them to do so. They can do this either by registering online at covid19.gov.im forward slash vaccine reg or by calling 111. Sticking with vaccines for a moment... Can I ask that people, when attending the hubs, follow the directions of the staff at the hubs? If you are accompanying someone, please listen to the instructions and everyone follow and ensure that everyone follows the one-way systems in place. Thankfully, the overwhelming majority of people are happy to follow the rules in place, but sadly I have been made aware of some issues, and one particularly disappointing one, of someone becoming aggressive to the vaccination hub staff when being asked to wear a mask, and there was a threat of violence made. I need to make clear aggression towards vaccination hub staff will not be tolerated. With incidents like this, the person will be refused vaccination and the police will be called. We take the protection of our staff seriously. The staff within the hubs are working exceptionally hard to ensure the protection of our population and they deserve to be shown the respect for the job they are doing and treated with dignity. The hubs are set up to ensure the protection of the people being vaccinated and also the staff working within the hub environment and it is important that people follow the instructions given and understand that the rules are in place for a reason and for the protection of everyone. Turning to care and nursing homes, I do realise that the restrictions on visitation currently in place are frustrating for friends, family and loved ones of those residents but at this current time 
those restrictions are important. Although our care home residents have been vaccinated, the vaccine effectiveness takes time to build, and it is important still at this stage that we don't do anything to compromise that. Once we have a pro prolonged lack of community transmission, the visitation advice to homes will be reviewed, but at the current time it is important that there remains restrictions in place, and we ask that people understand that, and that at the current time these restrictions are still necessary. I would also like to take the opportunity to once again thank all of the staff across our health and social care sector on the island. Not just those within government roles, but also out in the private sector and the third sector as well. The work you have all been doing over the last year has kept our island safe from the worst effects of COVID-19. And I would like to thank you all for your continued hard work in doing so. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. Now, it was a relief each day over the Easter weekend to see no unexplained cases, those with unknown transmissions that bother us so much. From the 25th of March to today, so 13 days, we have only seen that single unknown case on the 29th. If it had not been for that case, we would be starting to breathe a sigh of relief and talking about the end of this lockdown. We are edging closer to that point, but that single case does remain a niggle. In a few more days, I hope we will be more confident that the case on the 29th is no longer a cause for concern. As it is, we can be cautiously optimistic that the outbreak is under control. We are not going to reset the clock every time we see a case, and we will not let a single case derail our steady progress towards normality. But when there is uncertainty, I hope people understand that we need to tread more carefully. Let me hand over to our Director of Public Health for her update. I know she will characterise the current situation far more expertly than I can. Dr Hewitt. Thank you, Chief Minister. Um, there's little to add to the figures which obviously speak for themselves and can be seen in the curves on the um, information website, which are now coming down very nicely. The issue with the single unexplained case from a few days back is really linking to the... Um, the metaphor I've used in the past uh, about moorland fires, where you can potentially get a fire that's gone down under the peat layers. You don't know it's there unless or until it pops out. And that shows you where it's popped out, but it doesn't show you where else it might be going in the peat layer. Um, so that is really where we are at the moment. And obviously, as the Chief Minister has just said, the more days we can put between us and any further unexplained community cases, the more confident we can be that that was a single sporadic one, which clearly must have come from somewhere. We're assured that through contact tracing, we've closed down any onward lines of transmission from it. But there is just that little niggle that there could still be a little bit out there in the peat layer that could pop out again. Um, other data that is reassuring, of course, and I've mentioned this before as well, is the um, percentage positivity rate, uh, the percentage of the tests done that are actually positive. And that is continuing to stay nice and low. Obviously, on the days when we don't get any positive tests, it's zero. When we do get a positive test, it comes up to something like point something of a percentage, so less than 1%. So all of that is also very encouraging that we don't have a significant amount of undetected 
cases sitting out in the community. And as the Chief Minister has said, and I think I said earlier too, the more days we put between ourselves and the last sporadic community case, the more assured we can be. Thank you, Chief Minister. OK, thank you very much, Dr Ewart. And it's a good job the Manx government banned the burning of Manx peat on the island to help with the situation. Right, so we will continue our careful and steady path towards normality. For the moment, the focus will be on outdoors. I'm pleased that today we have seen the resumption of a range of construction work. I know how important this sector is for so many people in our community, whether this is indoor trades who are now able to work in vacant, uninhabited properties or outdoor construction. It is crucial that they maintain the highest levels of hygiene, respect social distancing rules and wear face coverings as much as possible. It may be easy for people to maintain that distance through the day while working on site, but these defences are only as good as the weakest link. Please think about that time in the van when making a brew and think about the implications of sharing tools. I am glad that today has also seen our garden centres able to open again. If you do visit one this week, please respect the staff and other customers. Give them the space they need. This is of course true to all retail settings. Be patient, kind and courteous. I hope that the opening of the garden centres is the start of a safe and steady reopening of our retail sector. There are a number of sectors that may be able to follow soon. These include non-essential retail, our lifestyle businesses and other areas where maybe we can retain some mitigation measures to continue our safe and steady approach. The Council of Ministers will again look at this on Thursday and consider the evolving data. We still hope to be able to lift the majority of measures on or around the 19th of April. We do hope to be able to allow non-essential retail to open soon. If we are able to do so, this may not include our lifestyle businesses immediately. Those businesses like hairdressers, barbers and beauticians. But we hope that all being well, they will be able to follow soon after. I make this point at almost every briefing, but I will do so again. We all want this to be the last lockdown we go through. So we need to get our exit from it absolutely right. This needs to be a safe and steady one-way journey. We will only keep measures in place for as long as they are needed. But we may also slow our exit if the data tells us it is the right thing to do. I know that even when we decide we are ready for a particular sector to open or reopen, some people may decide they are not quite ready and wish to wait a little longer. I remember last year some businesses wanted to wait an extra week or two to be sure. And of course that is absolutely fine. When the Council of Ministers gives the green light, it provides the opportunity to reopen. It is not an obligation. And the same is true for people. I know that there are people in our community who remain anxious about the virus. I completely understand that. You know your situation and you are best placed to make the right decisions for you. One setting where we have to ensure the highest level of safety is our schools and preschools. The Minister for Education, Sport and Culture updated us all last week on a phased return for our young people. As things stand, the plan remains the same as it was when he briefed us. Teachers will be able to return to their schools next Monday, the 12th, to prepare. 
Our aim remains to open primary schools in a phased manner starting on Tuesday the 13th of April. First it will be for vulnerable children and children whose parents are essential workers who need to attend their place of work to keep our island safe and running. In secondary schools our aim is gradually to reopen them to students from the 13th of April. Initially this will be for selected year 11 and 13 students who are required to undertake further work and assessments. This is to enable teachers to accurately grade their performance and submit the results to external examination boards. We then hope to be able to welcome all children back to school from Monday the 19th of April. This of course depends on the data telling us that it is safe to do so. The Council of Ministers will be discussing this again at its meeting on Thursday. We will consider the most recent data and advice from Public Health and we will let you know the outcome later that day. At almost every briefing now I've had the pleasure of marking another achievement of the vaccination programme and today is no exception. Over the Easter weekend the team took us through the milestone of 40,000 people in our community who have had at least one dose and this really is impressive. This now means that over 90% of the 45,000 people in those all-important phase one groups have now had at least one dose and over 15,000 have had both. The JCVI, that's the UK's Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, estimates that taken together, the phase one group represents around 99% of preventable mortality from COVID. Our most vulnerable, those most at risk from COVID, are getting protected at pace. This is great news, and please, when you get your letter, get on the phone to 111 or go online and register for your appointments. Let's take some questions. And first, we have Paul Moulton from Isle of Man Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Thank you. Uh, Chief Minister, I'll go back to the question I put to you on Thursday. You, at the time, said you hadn't had time to review Dr. Rachel Glover's testimony to the PAC meeting. Uh, you must by now have gone through it very carefully. And there was obviously some very very uh, damaging things said in that. Um, how do you react to it? Well, I think I'll leave that for the Health Minister. As, as Chief Minister, I don't get involved with people such as Dr Glover. Um, myself, that's something that the Department of Health and Social Care do. I think I've only met the lady once at a social function, award-winning um, event. So I'll no, no, sorry, I, I talked to David on Sunday. I've asked him that question. I'm asking you because you're, you front this, and the, the, the damning thing was said that basically, may, technically, some of the information said may not actually be what was being given to you. It, this is for you to respond to what she said because it's it's about bringing the whole question of these press conferences into, into light now to, to how you react to what she said well no paul it's I'm, I'm if i get asked to give evidence to the committee i will say i've never met the lady i've never had any conversation with her so i will wait and see what the committee say obviously there's always two sides to the story and i know the department of health and social care and the health minister will be giving their side of events to the situation but it's really nothing for me to get involved with you you have read it though have you or you listened to it I have been advised of it, but what a person says, you, you have to wait till you hear the other side of the evidence to, to then make a decision. We've all heard one side of the story, and I know there are elements that will be disputed, and I will let the Department of Health and Social Care, who've dealt with, with, the, with, with the lady in question, to give their side of the story, and, and then we'll um, get a fuller picture. 
I, I really, I'm saying basically, should the public be concerned, you know, with what's going on? Well, I, I think we wait and see the other side of the story, Paul. I'm personally not concerned at this moment in time. We, we wait and see. There's always two sides to a story. Let's see what um, the Department of Health and Social Care, who have been dealing directly with Dr Glover, have to say. Obviously, allegations have been made. Let's see what the other side have to say and what they can back up as evidence. OK. On a different note, I, I've seen that it's a year since you went down with COVID. And, of course, of all the people, you went down with long COVID. So totally different this question. How are you doing? What recommendations can you do to people who are suffering? And are you over it completely or have you still lost your taste and smell? Right. Um, well, no, I haven't got my um, sense of taste and smell back properly yet. It's, I'm delighted to say an element of it has come back. But I am suffering from some of the long-term COVID issues that are um, sadly uh, a, a number of people go through and um, I'm, I'm still ha having that experience. So yeah, I think it's, it's a concern for all I, people who have had COVID, that long COVID can impact you for a long time. There's an awful lot of people I hasten to add who are an awful lot worse than me. Um, I, I've had some very distressing emails from people telling me about their experiences with, with long COVID, but you've asked me the question. I, I still have um, certain elements of long COVID, which I hope will go away with time. What, is this fatigue uh, besides the taste and the smell? What, what else? Well, I'm, yeah, I don't want to air my personal <laughs> symptoms on, on, on live on, on, the, um, on the interview, Paul. But yeah, um, f fatigue and muscle aches are, are the main issues that are causing me concern. But life goes on. You've just got to get on with it, haven't you? Can you believe it's a year? Well, uh, this year has, has whizzed away. It's just been nonstop, um, long hours, lots of stress for all the team. But I think we've got our island in a good position. And um, we hope that in the coming months we'll be not having to do these regular updates and that COVID, whilst we'll have to live with it for a long time, will just be an annual jab or, or a boost to protect ourselves against it. Thank you, Paul. We now move on to Helen McKenna from Isle of Man Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Ministers. My first question is for the Health Minister, please. There was a Channel 4 News report, I think it was on yesterday, which reported that the UK's medicines regulator could meet this week to discuss whether the AstraZeneca vaccine shouldn't be injected into younger people, particularly younger women, uh, due to the risk of a rare blood clot which could develop. If the regulator decides to stop administering this particular jab, will the Isle of Man follow suit? The simple answer is, Helen, yes. Um, I believe the MHRA did meet last week, actually, to consider the position, um, and their advice um, continued that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh um, any particular risks. This is in relation, just to expand it a bit, to the 22 reports of what's called CVST and eight reports of other thrombosis events. Um, so 30 cases that have been being looked at and the MHRA yesterday, in fact, as recent as yesterday, issued a statement saying the risk of having this specific type of blood clot is very small, um, up to and including 24th of March, they say about the 30 cases out of a total of 18.1 million doses of COVID-19 being given by that date. 
Um, so they say they've, they've thoroughly analysed each and every report as soon as it's come in. And to note, the current analysis prints include data up to and including 21st of March. So they have not changed their advice that the vaccine should continue to use. Um, I know there's been widespread media reports about them supposedly going to look at whether it should be used in under 30s or not. But let's not go on media speculation. Let's wait for the MHRA themselves to actually come forward and actually say it. But the well, first thing I would say is in relation to the CSVTs, in a normal unvaccinated population, it would actually be expected to produce an instance of three to six cases, I believe, per million people. So if you look at the number of people who've been vaccinated with AstraZeneca, which is 18.1, even in normal circumstances, that would give you between 54 to 108 cases in an unvaccinated population of that size. So it's not at the moment seeing anything out of the ordinary. Um, I know there was a piece today from one individual in the European Medical um, Agency, um, but the European Medicines Agency, I believe, in the last hour, just before we came on this briefing, has again said they are continuing to advise the use of AstraZeneca. And I'll hand over to Director of Public Health in case she's got any further, anything further to add. Uh, thank you, Minister. You've just given a very comprehensive and up-to-date um, outline. Obviously, we're linked into MHRA and the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, so we hear directly as they um, appraise new evidence, and as the Minister has said, we would expect to follow their evidence-based recommendations as and when they, they make them. Thank you. Thank you. My second question is for the Chief Minister. How likely is it that hospitality businesses will be the last to reopen? Right, I just missed the, I think you said, was it hospitality, Helen, that you yes, said? Yeah, hospitality, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it will be the, the last thing to open. Um, hospitality, young people in, in nightclubs, people going into to restaurants. Um, it'll probably be, restaurants will be before nightclubs, I should imagine. But if the if we go from now to the the 17th, 19th, without any more unexplained cases, then we're not going to be far away. One might be a week ahead of the other. So there's not, I can't see big gaps between us. But we, we, we must get this right. And it's sad that this one case, unexplained case, which we haven't been able to definitely link, has caused some concern. But I, I think if we're looking at this time next week and we still haven't had any more unexplained cases, then we, could, um, we, we should be on track, Helen, with our... Um, with, with the hospitality sectors opening uh, and hopefully by the 19th we'll be thereabouts for, for everything but so it's fingers crossed we'll just have to keep on watching the data thank you thanks very much helen next we have rob pritchard from 3fm good afternoon rob faster my faster my chief minister question probably to uh, any of you actually you um, said that the unexplained case on the 29th you described it as a, a niggle and you said that it does, but he's also said it doesn't quite fully reset the clock, as it were, to coin that phrase. Just so people have um, a bit more of an idea, even if it isn't an exact figure, in an instance like this where we're hoping to start easing but an unexplained case comes about, does it set back your plans at all by, say, uh, five days or ten days in general, just so people have a bit more clarity as to how it makes you have to adapt? Well, I suppose, Rob, it, it, it really is... The, the the history that goes with it that will will decide that there's no such thing as um a perfect test case where all cases are the same if it, if it's in a setting that we can quickly isolate and we find no further cases of it then that might be different from 
an, an area where the person works and there's, there's a big area or, or it's a school. So I can't give an exact science date. We are expecting more cases, but if those are cases that are already in isolation, high risk with existing cases, then that's not going to be a problem at all for us. We won't be counting them as any, any concern. It's that unexpl unexplained case, and it will be how that unexpla unexplained case appears and the data around it and, and where it's happened, etc., that will decide how we react. So I'm afraid there's no perfect answer. Um, maybe the health minister can give a perfect answer. Um, I, I think you've given a pretty perfect answer there, Chief Minister, in the fact that it would depend upon the the scenario around the case. Um, there's no exact science to this, unfortunately, Rob. It would be nice if there was, but there isn't. So you can have different types of unexplained cases. So if you have a case that just popped up in the community with absolutely no connection or even a generalised connection to anything... Um, then that would be a serious, serious concern where they've not had any interface with any environment where we have identified previously there's a risk. You could equally have an unexplained case, for instance, where someone has been in an environment where there's been other cases, but what you can't do is draw that exact link as to where they got it in that environment or say for certain they are linked to the other cases in that environment. Um, now, that they would still remain an unexplained case, even although the likelihood of probability is you do potentially know the routes of transmission, but you can't establish them. So it, it would depend upon the circumstances around unexplained cases. Like I say, if you start seeing them popping up in different environments where you wouldn't expect them to be appearing, then that is very different to ones that might have been in an environment of cases um, where you may be able to propose a link but you can't firmly establish it. But I'll bring the Director of Public Health in in case she's anything further to add. Thank you. I think it's been very comprehensively described. Um, and yes, a single sporadic case would not of itself necessarily make you put the brakes on for relaxing the lowest risk uh, restrictions. So, for example, outdoor activities. Um, obviously, more sporadic cases popping up would cause um, pause for thought, but one, and particularly as we get more clear days, um, wouldn't cause you to reverse working through the relaxation of restrictions, starting with the lowest risk ones. Thank you. Thanks for that, Rob. Also, I think it's worth pointing out as we edge closer to getting more and more of our population vaccinated, then that's data that you would take into account too. As I've said before, we, we are going to have to learn to live with COVID for a long, long time. We can't keep it off the island forever. And as we edge towards um, a really good place with our vaccination programme, then that also will um, have an impact on um, how we assess the, the risk to the people of the island. Thank you. Um, secondly, just with regards to schools and hopes to start a phase reopening from next week, um, pardon me if I did miss that it, this was mentioned before, but will this phased approach also apply to nurseries and childminders? Um, yes, there's obviously full details on, on, on the website. Um, key workers will, will take priority. Obviously, they, they won't be, I doubt if they'll have to go in and open their schools up Um for, for, for the key workers but if, for the for the nurseries but if there is um any difference to that i'll let you know i don't know um, david if you've got any details on that 
Um, in terms of the phase, there's already um, within the regulations where childcare services can be used. Um, those stay in place. Um, the whole of the education establishment will be doing a, fa a phased return, basically. Um, but in terms of the regulations, there is already within the regulations circumstances in which childcare, um, including professional childcare, can be used. Thank you. OK, thanks very much, Rob. We now move on to John Moss from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, John. Faster man. Good afternoon, Ministers and Dr Ewart. Um, this for the Chief Minister. Uh, did the uh, easing of rules that uh, were issued in time for Easter, the gathering of 10, have the backing of law? Well, all the regulations were put in, in, in time, yes, John. So it, it was done um, that evening, signed off by the Council of Ministers. So, yes, the, the law was there, the police were advised, so everything was correct. That was able to go before the Council of Ministers without having to come before the Keys or Timwall? Well, if you follow what happened, what's happened for the last year, John, is that the Council of Ministers approved the regulations and then within a certain period of time, and they, they, that makes them law, they have to then go to um, Timwald for Timwald's approval. That's what will happen. So they are legal now. If Timwald decides they don't like the rules going um, when, when they next sit, then um, they won't be law. But at this moment in time, they're, they're, they're law. Uh, thank you. One for the Health Minister. Um, in the age groupings between uh, 65 and 69, there seems to be a substantial disparity between the number of invitations sent out and the bookings for vaccination uh, resulting something like 5,000 plus in that age group, yet the vaccinations seem to be well down. Why is that? I'm not sure what disparity you're referring to there, John. I mean, I've, I've got the table in front of me. And as the Chief Minister has said, in those older age groups, um, we're looking at over 90% having been vaccinated um, overall in the cohorts. There are some people who may, for whatever reason, have been reluctant to come forward for vaccination at this point in time. Um, that's why in my speech again today, I've urged those people who are in those priority groups to register sooner rather than later um, for the vaccination. Vaccination is a personal choice. So we are never going to get to a position where 100% of every single cohort is vaccinated because for whatever various reasons, there may be people that for medical reasons can't be vaccinated or people who from personal choice decide for whatever reason they don't wish to be vaccinated. Um, you know, we, we have put the letters out to all those cohorts. We are now moving on to, in fact, my age group. I myself have received my invitation for vaccination and registered. Um, so I would urge anyone who has received a letter to come forward and register. But I don't quite see a huge disparity. I'm looking at the figures live here in front of me. Um, and in fact, across almost all of the um, top priority groups, um, there is, for instance, on the 65 to 69 year olds currently vaccinated stands at 74, just under 74 percent. Um, the 60 to 64s at 70 percent and the 55s to 59s at 65 percent. So there is 26 percent there that uh, haven't taken this up. Is that worrying? Well, then what you also have to look at, John, is those that are still waiting to be vaccinated. So people will register at different times. Um, so that doesn't take into account, of course, that's the people who've had at least one first dose. There are many people who are, have actually applied since then and will be waiting to be vaccinated. Are there follow-up invitations at all? 
we will be looking at that in relation to um, in relation to different age cohorts. Once we've got through the age cohorts, we will look via the GPs um, potentially if they if they're willing to work with us on that to send out and do reminders to people. Um, like I say, vaccination is a choice. I've always been very clear on that as minister. Um, it's not a compulsion, um, but we would urge people to get vaccinated. Ministers, thank you very much. Thanks, John. I think before we move on to Simon, that it's worth pointing out also that there have been a number of people, I know at one stage we had a few thousand people who were in isolation and were unable to get the vaccine, so they will be waiting on cancellations, etc., to, to come forward. So that might explain a certain percentage of people who have been vaccinated. Not all of them, but the, as I say, there was a, a few thousand, which for, for, for the Isle of Man, um, it will impact the, the percentages in, in some areas significantly. So next we have Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My first question is, do you concur with the comment today uh, from the UK's vaccines minister, Nadim Zahawi, that it would be remiss of the government not to consider COVID certification as a way of fully reopening the economy? And are we not in a similar position here in the Isle of Man in that respect? Well, I think the, the UK, I'm not saying they're all over the place at the moment, but we're getting all sorts of different comments from vaccinations and certificates. Now, they are walking towards that, and the Prime Minister yesterday in his um, speech said that the vaccination um, certificates for people going on holiday, etc., may well be something that will happen, but they, as this, at this moment in time, have not come up with any detail. They are asking for feedback from the public and from politicians. It may well be that that's the way forward. We'll have to monitor that situation. Obviously, if the UK come up with a law that states you can't travel without a vaccination passport, our IT systems allow for, for that to be um, shared if an individual wants that detail to be shared. But we'll, we'll just have to, we can react quickly to the situation, Simon, when it happens. But the UK have not come up with a, a solid proposal of something that will definitely be happening. But I know the health minister has spent a lot of time on this. Yeah, yeah, I think, Simon, it's very important we don't take the vaccine minister's comments out of context and we actually look at the question he was actually asked this morning. The question he was asked um, was around the backlash to the suggestion that had come out from the UK government in relation to the possibility of this um, and particularly amongst government backbenchers and also the opposition that seems in the UK to be coming out against this. So he was asked that particular question and what he actually said in response to that was it is only right... We look at all these options that are available to us to take our lives back. So what he was actually saying was that it's important that all options are on the table. He wasn't saying the UK government's going to go down that route or that he personally believed they should go down that route. He was simply saying the UK government was looking at all options on the table and that was one of many, many options. And do you have a view on the principle? Um, like I say, I mean, I, I think I've said in, I said to Manx Radio this morning, actually, when I did Manx Radio Breakfast Show, personally, I'd need to be convinced of it, because as the Chief Minister and myself have both, and the Director of Public Health as well, said at this um, conference many, many times, um, the vaccine doesn't stop someone contracting COVID-19. And while the current reports that are coming out are looking exceptionally good around reducing of transmissibility, there isn't any evidence yet it prevents transmittability. So, um, and passing it on to others. So you, it's not like yellow fever jab, um, where you can have a certificate and say someone's safe. With COVID, the person could still harbour it and could potentially still pass it on. So at that 
that point, like I say, we'd need to have more evidence around that to show what the vaccination certificate would actually effectively achieve. And we also have to be careful we don't end up with a twin speed society in the fact that there are people who, for very valid medical reasons, can't be vaccinated. And as I've said many times, I've always come from the position that vaccination is a choice. Thank you. And my second question, once again, for the Chief Minister. Um, there seems to be an even greater number of businesses who are hovering on the brink during the current lockdown. Given what you said earlier today, are you confident that with the vaccination programme on course, that despite the predicted slowdown this month, that it will not be necessary to close down the economy again if there is another cluster of cases? Well, I sincerely hope we don't have to close down, Sam, and that's why we're being so cautious in our opening, uh, uh, coming out of this current lockdown, the data is looking good, but we do not want to have to go back to a, a lockdown. I think because we've got on so well with our vaccination programme, that uh, a full lockdown, I would hope, wouldn't have to happen again. Absolute worst case, we might have to put some measures in place for social distancing, etc. But I would sincerely hope that as we get close now to um, vaccinating all of our vulnerable people and giving them you have to remember they need at least a fortnight to to build up some form of uh, immunization to um COVID-19 that we don't have to go back to any further lockdowns thank you very much thank you very much simon now we move on to sam turton from jeff good afternoon sam faster my thanks to my chief minister i just wonder if we could start with in the uh, actually sorry just point of clarification do libraries fall under non-essential retail categories? It was something I was asked and I said I'd check. Right, good question. Well, from memory, and I'll, clarify, I'll um, put out a statement if, if that's not the case, they um, are non-essential at this moment in time. Obviously, we are having a meeting on Thursday where we'll have more data, more, more days, hopefully, of no um, cases in the community and we'll be able to make announcements on what we can allow back in time. But at this moment in time, I don't see libraries. They're inside, and um, they, they're, they're not essential. Um, I'm sure they think they will be essential, and they, they are important, but they're not just essential at this moment in time. Grant, um, just first is a question. On um, the UK, they've announced they're going to be offering, in England, sorry, two free tests a week to people. Uh, in Switzerland, they're doing up to 10 a month. You've said previously that the Manx taxpayers shouldn't bear the cost of testing for people who've been travelling, but is there going to have to be a point where we accept this will become part of life in the short term at least, and that cost will have to fall onto the taxpayer? Well, if it's a cost that does good for the people of the Isle of Man, then of course we will we will go ahead with it. But we have to sh be, have to see the evidence that if I think the UK have put nearly a billion pounds aside, so that's a significant amount of money pro rata for the Isle of Man um, for it to work. So I, you know, we firmly believe that doing what's right um, it has to be better than doing what's seen to be. Um, right. And if there is a case that this would work for the people of the Isle of Man going forward, then of course something Council of Ministers will take very seriously. But I know Dr Ewart is, is far more um, capable of giving a, a, a more detailed answer than I can on that. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, there are a lot of issues about uh, 
population screening for COVID and in particular the use of the lateral flow devices for that purpose. Um, the lateral flow devices um, seem to be very good at picking up people with high levels of, of virus, which is good, but they also do miss a significant number of people who are infected either because the test is badly done um, and doesn't find the virus that was there or the test is done okay but the person was still incubating and may have had a test that did not read positive at the time but go on to be infectious the next day so there are all manner of issues around this testing modality and how you interpret it in terms of using it for mass population screening this is completely experimental there is no data or evidence to indicate how well it works what the pluses and minuses from it might be one of the major problems that one can anticipate from it is when you start trying to use it as a screening test in a population which is actually experiencing very low levels of covid infection then the risk of picking up false positives actually becomes a bigger risk than the risk of missing positives and that's because the pre-test probability that anyone particularly someone with no symptoms whatsoever as in the screening context is actually going to be positive for covid is very very low so the risk then as i say becomes that you pick up more false positives you then have to think about what the implications of that are both for the person and their family and the wider economy and if what you're saying to them is if your lfd is positive you must go home and you and your household must isolate and you must contact 111 in our case and get a pcr to confirm whether or not that lfd was accurate or not then you're actually putting a lot of burden on those individuals and potentially the economy for having taken them out of the economy. Uh, you then create another layer of issue because when they have the PCR, the question is how do you interpret that PCR result? If the PCR is positive, um, do you then require them to self-isolate? If it's negative, do you accept that it was negative or do you say maybe we should retest this? We actually don't know because these studies have never ever been done. So this is actually quite a fraught area. And as the um, people who provide the, the sort of behavioural insights to um, the UK government on this, as they've pointed out, actually people will be quite likely to vote with their feet and not actually come forward for testing. Uh, there was a study published, I think, over the weekend or just at the end of last week that indicates that even people who are symptomatic with COVID symptoms, only about one in four of them actually come forward for testing in the UK. And the reasons for that are going to be many fold, but probably a, a fairly key one is that these are people who are really concerned about having to take time out of work, losing income, the impact on their whole household if they all have to isolate. And so actually they take a call that it's better not to go and be tested. So if we're talking there about people who already have symptoms, um, the uptake for people with no symptoms, bearing in mind the burden on them, if they get a positive LFD result, really does have to call into question whether it's going to be useful to try and do that. And the answer is, as of now, we just don't know because it's never been trialled, never been piloted, and it's all a big experiment, really. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Sam. 
Thank you. And just um, secondly, probably again for W, just in terms of if pubs and restaurants are able to reopen, could we just get an explanation behind the thinking of why lifestyle um, such as beauty salons may be a bit behind them on that? All of these things need, need assessing at the time. Obviously, if you're providing a lifestyle um, service, often that requires really very close work with the client. Um, when we went through this before in the previous lockdown, it is possible to do a sort of risk assessment that could say that certain services are lower risk than others. But once you're doing anything that requires you know, eyebrow threading, um, brow shaping, um, massage services, those are actually quite difficult to mitigate because they do obviously require very close proximity and effectively face-to-face -face contact and physical contact. Um, whereas there are more mitigations that you can offer, for example, in a restaurant setting. Thank you. If I can just come in there, Sam, I think when I gave my examples, it was non-essential retail will, will be first. So maybe going into a, a fabric shop, say, to, to, to get stuff, then you would have the likes of hairdressers where PPE can be worn. And then you would have, say, a nightclub as one of the very last um, events that you would have or, or opening the gaiety or, or, a, or a, the, the Villa Marina up. That's the sort of different levels. So hairdressing, etc., would come in between um, those two phases that I've just described. Thanks very much, Sam. Now we move on to Josh Stokes from ITV Granada. Good afternoon, Josh. Fast am I. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. Uh, my first question, the exit strategy document talks about the shift from an elimination strategy to a mitigation strategy. And it's a question that some have asked me for clarity. So you're just able to clarify, have we now moved into that mitigation phase where we're expected to live with the virus? Or is the ultimate aim at this point still focused around elimination? Well, at this moment in time, we're trying to eliminate the virus from the island. That, that is our aim. Obviously, when I say eliminate, it, bar people travelling to the island who have to isolate. But that's for a very short period of time as we move then towards the end of the month where we've set out our stall that if the UK infection rate is right, then we will be allowing people to come to the island who are family and friends to, to visit. So it's a staged approach. At this moment in time, it is elimination, but we're very, very close to mitigating it. And I don't know, David, if you want to, or Doctor, you want to expand on that. Yeah, if I could, Chief Minister, before very briefly, just before handing over to the Director of Public Health, it's never going to be um, one of those where it's a clean line, one day you're eliminating, the next you're mitigating. There's always going to be that area of transition between the two. Um, at the moment, we are still on elimination. Our aim at the moment is to get the current virus out of the island. Um, as the Chief Minister says, bar those obviously that would come back into isolation and may have it themselves at that time um, and get back to where we were pre this lockdown. From that point on, obviously with the vaccination rollout and everything else, we can then start looking to move through the different stages of the exit strategy. But it's never going to be a clean break of saying on the Monday we're on elimination, on the Tuesday we're in mitigation. There's always going to be that transition phase between the two um, and that is what we are heading towards now as we come towards the end of this month but i'll hand over to the director of public health thank you minister uh, not a lot to add to that really other than just to say that obviously moving to mitigation is really an exercise in balancing the seesaw um, that's to say the risks of cases coming onto the island um, from elsewhere and that obviously is a function of the levels in other countries particularly across the UK 
then the level of protection that we have in our population from vaccination. And in that, we have to factor in people who have not been vaccinated for whatever reason, and also those who may have been vaccinated, but who we may be able to estimate will not get the full protection that um, others might. So all of that needs to be taken into account in terms of what the risk would be of introducing um, COVID back on Ireland and how that would then run through our population if we had no mitigations in place such as social, social distancing, face coverings, etc. Or if we do move to a phase where we expect to live with some level of those mitigations for some time, and that might be about a, a longer term approach to the use of face coverings and social distancing. Um, we, we really need to understand the figures and the risk and the modelling for how those different things play out in terms of finalising the, the mitigation approach. Thank you. Thank you for that um, answer. My second question, um, Chief Minister, outdoor pubs and shops will be reopening in England on April the 12th. Do you fear the Isle of Man could start to fall behind the UK in coming out of lockdown? And do you feel any sort of pressure from our near neighbours to open up quicker? Well, no, Josh, it's not, it's not a race. Our, our um, island has enjoyed over 200 days in the last year, in the last 12 months of, of no um, restrictions whatsoever. We would like to get back to that situation as quickly as possible. Um, the, the UK are making a number of announcements of when they're going to start to allow um, the, the loosening. We're not going to be too far behind um, with with this circuit break lockdown. We're, we're there or thereabouts. But no, I, I certainly don't consider it to be a race. We, we have a situation on the Isle of Man, and I've said numerous times, it's Manx solutions for a Manx situation. Just off the back of that, you've spoken about non-essential retail reopening soon. Could this perhaps align with England lifting restrictions on the 12th? Uh, again, no. We have a Council of Ministers meeting on, on Thursday, Josh, where we normally make our, our, our more major decisions, which I'll obviously be reporting back to Timble members and, and then in the media briefing later on in the day. Um, we will make the decision that's right for the Isle of Man. Of course, you look at data and you see the excellent situation that the UK find themselves in now with the number of infections and, and the low um, number of deaths and the falling hospital um, ad admissions, which is excellent news. But we, we look at all that evidence, but we then make up our mind what's right for the Isle of Man. And it's certainly not a, uh, at, at no time at all will the Council of Ministers try and um, do something just to keep up with the United Kingdom. We, we do what's right for the people of the island. OK, thank you. Thanks very much, Josh. And last but not least, we have Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Hi, good afternoon. Um, Chief Minister, it's, it's now less than four weeks until the beginning of May. Families and businesses, I'm sure, will be keen to know when more people can visit the island. Can you give any further clarity about what this border change might look like? So a target date for the loosening of restrictions and how it might look in terms of people who do visit having to isolate and for how long, et cetera. Yeah, well, that's obviously the, the, the main thought that the Council of Ministers are, are looking at now, Alex. We'd said that 3A we would hope to be around the end of April, beginning of May, and I think we're still on track for that. Um, never say never. Obviously, if the data were to change for the worse, then that might impact on things. But that's what we've been working to for some time now. Um, and 
Hopefully the, the level of vaccinations has been going exceptionally well. The team have done a fantastic job. We only have one person in hospital at this moment in time, which is maybe one too many, but it's going in the right direction. So hopefully by the end of the month, um, we're, we're still on track for that level 3A. I don't know, the, the Minister for Health and Social Care would like to expand. Yeah, I mean, we go, we're data-driven on this, really, Alex. I know people are exceptionally keen. People haven't been able to see many of their family for a long time and so they're keen for any news to try and move things forward it will literally depend upon the data over the next few weeks we hope that we are still on track for early may um, to be able to move to that precious border level that will allow people to meet up again um, but it will literally depend on what happens over the next few weeks it's more perhaps in terms of the notice period that you have to give to people and indeed businesses on island who might be ready to uh, take hotel bookings, etc. when people come over again. How much notice can people uh, away from the Isle of Man reasonably expect before they know when they can come over? Well, I would say we have, we have always tried to give as much notice as possible um, to people. We've always tried to give at least a couple of weeks' notice before we do any major changes. Um, but like I say, that will depend upon the data. Um, we, what's important is we get this right because there would be nothing worse than us moving to level 3A and then for some reason having to then move back again. That would be absolutely devastating to people. So when we make that decision, we have got to make sure that we are in the right space, not just to make it, but also to keep it in that space. Thank you. Um, another question please for the Director of Public Health. Uh, Dr Ewart, um, a, a couple of weeks ago now you mentioned that the Isle of Man was looking to UK-based model agencies to, to, to develop this model of how we might move into the mitigation phase of the strategy. I wonder if they made any specific recommendations to yourself or to the Manx government in terms of what a mitigation strategy might look like, specifically in terms of what you just mentioned in a, in a response before about people perhaps having to wear face coverings in certain public settings, etc. Have any specific recommendations been made? No, first of all, uh, let me just clarify what we mean by an agency, because that's not the right word. Um, the group we are fortunate to be working with is Professor Mike Tildesley's group at Warwick University and specifically the Zeeman Institute within Warwick University. And they are one of the groups that submit modelling um, data into SPY-MO, which is the modelling group that advises SAGE, and SAGE advises the UK government. So um, they are, along with the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and Imperial College, those are the three modelling groups that do most of the work for SPY-MO. So that, that's who we're talking about there. And we are still in the process of working with them to get them the data they need to populate the models. So although I talked about the parameters that we are wanting to see modelled and which will, which will then form um, data that council administers can take into consideration for policy development, we don't have it yet. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Alex, and thank you all very much for your questions. I know the weather is looking more like winter than spring for much of this week, but I hope you are able to get some time outdoors. A walk outdoors is so important for our mental health. Please do everything you can to keep yourself and your loved ones safe. Only meet outdoors and keep your distance. Please continue to make the right decisions for you, your family and your island. It is your actions that have got us to this place. And of course, call 111 if you have anything that might be the symptoms of COVID. 
Please don't risk your health or the health of those you live or work with. That's all for now. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.